Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome everyone and welcome to my guest this week, Carl Jennings. Carl, how are you, mate? I'm feeling really good, thank you, Ian. Great to hear. Now, I feel like we should have recorded when we just connected beforehand because you mm. were already telling me so many great stories, yeah. but I'm looking forward to reliving them now with mm. our audience. So before we get too much into the story, Carl, tell us a little about a bit about what you do now, that super cool logo you've got there and, and yeah. yeah, the way, the difference you're making in the world at the moment. Well, look, I actually run a, a pretty special program, even though I say so myself, it's, it's really unique. Um, and it, we've been going now since uh, 2016. Um, so only a short space of time, really. But um, what we are, we're a truly high performance program, which is all inclusive. So not exclusive. So most of the time, you know, you've got a young athlete that wants to, to get the best of the best. They're, they're usually chosen or selected. So it's exclusive. I, and there's a reason why I do what I do, Ian. We, we need to talk about that. Um, But it's my program is all inclusive, um, not dependent on socioeconomic background, religious belief, um, ethnicity, um, whatever, anybody, ability, ability. um, It's a safe space for young people to become the best they can be. And it's a truly special place built off the back of behavior first. Um, and there's, and we can talk about that a little bit later, in because it ties into the reason why I, I actually chose to do what I do now um, was actually yep. off the back of a really traumatic event. I'm sure which we'll we'll talk about. Hundred percent. Um, awesome. So, you're taking people through a program. Can you tell us a little bit a bit more about, like, what you're taking them from, and then what what outcomes they're getting? Well, look, at the end of the day, um, Ian, it's, um, it's for young people. Um, it's not necessarily strength and conditioning, um, but it is. Which is, um, it, which is what your... Uh... My background, yeah, so my background yeah. is, is athletic development, uh, and I've worked at the highest level in elite professional sport. Um, we're based in Western Sydney. Uh, which is just down the road from you, Ian. You know, yeah. yeah so you can come yeah. and have a look for yourself one day. And it's a pretty inspirational place. It's been a it's been a real journey, uh, because my background is as an elite coach, um, not necessarily as an elite businessman. So I've been on a really steep steep learning curve, but I've built I've built really really strong connections within the community, um, through the council, through the local government, through sporting bodies, parents and athletes, just because of what we do 
um, and how we do it. And I suppose and my energy and my, my not necessarily my passion or drive, because that's what I used to have in my normal high performance world. Um, this is now my mission. Uh, Love it. I truly believe this is what I'm supposed to do, which ties me back into what I'm going to talk about later. Beautiful. And I'd love to hear more about that when we get back into it, because yeah. what you described there is what what you are supposed to do. Mm. And, you know, you think of how many people in their life are searching for well, what, there's got to be more than this. Like, yeah. what what's the point of all this? And I think that, well, I know by you sharing your story how much that's going to help people to identify mm. in their own yeah. stories. Well, I, I think I can answer that really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, go. So what I want you to do is just point to yourself and say, this is me, Carl. Point to yourself and say, this is me, Carl. Point yeah. to yourself and say, this is me. This is me. Oh, I thought you said Carl. I was going to say, who's yeah, Carl? Yeah, Carl, yeah. Point to yourself and say, this is me, Carl. Get assertive with me. Carl. Oh, this is me. Yeah. No, no, yeah, point to yourself. This is lost on the people listening to this on the podcast. No, it's not. Yeah. No, because no, I can't I mean, see. Where's, where's your finger pointing? No, I mean, I mean, with me not getting this right part. Okay, fair enough. So where are you pointing, Ian? Where are you pointing? At my heart. Correct, Amondo. And everybody does that. Yes. Subconsciously. Yes. Very few people say, this is me, Carl. This is yeah. me, Carl. But, but, so answer your question is that the majority of humans, it's in human nature, we get obsessed with living in myth, worrying about what happened yesterday and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. So we, we can spend our whole lives living in myth and not living in the moment and experiencing life. So to, an, to answer your question, if you can truly get in touch with that part that you was pointing to, Ian, your heart, yeah. your soul, yes. your spirit, your bit and follow your dreams through that, the things that make you feel good, rather than worrying or, or trying to follow things that you perceive to be the right thing to do. Um, that's the, I truly believe that's the secret. It's hard, but I think it's truly the secret. You get, you get reminded of that probably on a daily basis, but we, we choose to ignore it. We focus on things that maybe we could have done better. In some cases, traumatic events that have been happened years and years decades ago can still affect us and manifest on a daily basis but you're we could go we could sit in a car and travel from a to b together in the same car talking about the same things going from a to b and at yeah. the end of it your perception of that journey is different to mine so as no matter what happens as you move forward through your life that the, the actual reality can change in your own mind and 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 so I don't trust my mind. Why would you be me? But I, I wouldn't trust mine. I don't trust it. I don't trust my brain. I don't trust my mind. I trust who I am. And I think that I, I found out that quite a long time ago. Um, yes, you have to plan for the future if you want to be successful. But holy hell, you got to live in the moment. And all the great athletes that I've worked with, um, and the current great athletes in the world, they have a, a, a skill, the greatest skill, which is being present in the moment. Is that powerful for the everyday man in the street or woman in the street? 100%. But it's a yeah. skill that you have to practice. 
yeah. you have to practice it. But first of all, before you practice it, you have to be aware of it. Yeah. And what I was drawn to as you were telling that story, particularly around the heart, is that mm. by both of us practicing that, is that how that's how we came to have this conversation anyway, because I think you might have clicked on something of mine. I'm like, I don't yeah, know. I, 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 think, I think there's more I think there's more involved than that. And I think it's I th- I'm a true, true believer in in uh, the universe, whatever that is. And I, I think for this this conversation here is meant for a reason. I, I, I do not absolutely 100% that I don't believe in chance. I believe that everything is meant to be. I truly believe it. Some yeah. people are religious. Some people are spiritual. I'm more on the spiritual side. But I truly believe this conversation is meant for a reason. I have to because of my little journey. So I, I believe that things are meant to be. So that's why if somebody reaches out to me, whether it's, a, a high performer like you, Ian, or a parent, or just somebody in the street that bumps into me. I give them my time because the greatest commodity in the world is time. And the greatest yes. gift you can give to somebody else is your time. So, because uh, we only have so much of it, it's such a powerful commodity. We Most people don't use it wisely, most people aren't even aware of it. Some people get a reminder now and again that time's only going to last for you as an individual for so long. Um, but time is so precious. So utilizing your time as your greatest commodity to do good in the world, I believe that everybody has responsibility to do good in the world. Yeah. Um, it's such a powerful thing. Yeah, so good. So whether you, yeah, meant to be, absolutely, but following my heart to go, oh, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to go check this guy out because he popped up in LinkedIn for some reason. And then I see what you did, and then I was drawn to your story, and I'm like, okay, this this is someone I need to chat to. And then when we jumped before we jumped on and started recording, it was like instant connection, right? Mm. We're talking yeah. the same language, and that's what I yeah. love. So that's what you're doing now. You mentioned the fact that you'd spent a lot of time in uh, in performance and strength and conditioning. So let's go back now. What, what was that moment? Because I asked you for some pivotal, pivotal moments. So I said three to five and you said three to five. And I could tell that you had like like heaps of them. So we just tried to focus on the important ones. But the one that you talked about when you were a youngster, that, that moment that really changed the sort of person you were and then took you on this journey that led to all the other amazing things that have unfolded. So tell us about yeah. that. So look, sport's an amazing thing. Um I know, that's I've experienced that. I came from a really humble working class background. I had really loving parents, but we had very little. Uh, apart from my parents looking back, having time for me yeah. again, which is a powerful thing, isn't it? So, yeah. um, but my father was one of the, probably one of the first bodybuilders. An amazing, amazing man, hard working man, working class, an engineer. He started, he's 87 now and he's still training almost every day. Um, he started his apprenticeship on steam engines and finished his working life building jet fighters. Uh, and so he's just an amazing human being, you know. So, um, yeah. But my first memory was watching him doing exercises, but I, I must have been three or four years old at the time. But in actual fact, um, as I mentioned to you, Ian, my, my God-given talent was music, and I, I had an ear for music. I lived and grew up in a really tough part of the north of England where – music just wasn't done yeah. uh, but and um i actually watched a movie it's a really old movie the glenn miller story when i was really young i think i'd have been about eight my parents obviously couldn't afford a saxophone 
because that's what I wanted. Uh, but they bought me a little cheap clarinet, which was fine. Yeah. Uh, and I, I used to um, hide the clarinet in my, in my school satchel and go to school every day, sit with all the tough kids at the back of the, back of the class, uh, misbehaving, a uh, little skinny asthmatic kid, snot running down my face. Yeah, yeah. the typical kid from the north of England. And um, But I, used to, I was very talented on the clarinet. Uh, looking back, I was obviously dyslexic because I struggled reading and writing in particular. Couldn't read music, but I had an amazing ear for music. Um, and I got to a point where I got select, selected for a youth orchestra. Um, and um, it was quite a big thing for the school. So I can always remember just being sat in the back of the assembly with with all the other bad lads, yeah. And um, the music teacher came out to the front assembly. I'd have been nine at the time, and she said something along the lines of, "Oh, we're very proud. We've got one of our pupils been selected for the the, the you know the youth orchestra." And um, Carl, come to the front of the assembly. And and I can remember as I stood up. Everybody just staring at me from uh, that was sat around me, and, and uh, I had to go to the front of assembly. What was the um, what was the like bodily reaction then? Like, did you when you knew that they were talking about you? Did you suddenly get that sort of chill over I felt, you? No, I felt. I mean, this is a long time ago, you know. But I, yeah. I, I remember feeling really sick. I felt really embarrassed. Um, I didn't. I, I, I didn't want to. I, I just didn't want to be there. I uh, wasn't too sure what was going to happen. Uh, I had to go to the front of assembly. She sat on a piano, you know, gave me the, my clarinet that she had in her, in her um, classroom. And I had to play Green Sleeves, which is, you know, holy macaroni. So, uh, which I've played. I've probably played it very well. Everybody at the front was clapping. Uh, all my group at the back was just staring at me and my life changed instantaneously. So I, I went from... Um, and it's, it's, it's human nature. I, I accept that, you know, when you're slightly different, um, you know, you, 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 you know, you're a target at you. So I wasn't the biggest, strongest kid at the school. I was a skinny little asthmatic. Uh, and I just got beaten up every day from that point on. Yeah. And so, um, which, which wasn't great, but it's something you accept when you're back in the day. And that's, you used to get the cane, you used to get the slap, you used to get a good idea now and again. That, and that's just how you, it was. Uh, but I had a really loving, supporting family. I didn't tell them what was going on. I uh, just told them I didn't want to do, play music anymore. Um, so, which which was a bit sad because I also played in a, I also played in a, a marching band as well in the Scouts. I played the bugle in the marching band. And when I was nine, a good year for me, nine, I, I made the youth orchestra. And I also used to play the bugle. And the biggest band championships in the UK is the Brighouse Band Championships. And I actually won it at nine years old playing a, a, a bugle solo. Wow. Um, so I was very gifted with music, but ultimately I turned my back on music because music just brought me pain. I used to get beaten up all the time. So uh, my dad, um, obviously being a, an amazing athlete in his day, um, doing an innocuous sport back in the day, you know, people thought my dad was a freak because he had 20 inch arms. It was, uh, he would never wear, wear a t-shirt. He'd always wear a shirt. He'd cover it up. Um, but he was this amazing athlete. So he, he dragged me along to the gym when I, I think I was 13. Um, I was a skinny little asthmatic, but within probably two months doing pullovers and squats, uh, I obviously had a natural disposition for strength, even though I was skinny. 
um, and my asthma seemed to go. Um, wow. It just seemed to go, um, and I enjoyed lifting weights. That was probably the only thing I could do. <laughs> I had very little coordination, but I was naturally strong. But by the time I was 16, 17, I was actually the North of England under 23 powerlifting and Olympic lifting champion. So um, I got very strong, and, and the natural progression for that was to um, do throwing events. I was very blessed, again, um, because... I lived on this estate, but I actually had, I found two other friends. Uh, one was a year older than me called Shane. One was two years older than me called Dave. Um, we used to, we started training in the back of this little <laughs> garage, training, doing weights together. We found a little, a, a little coach. We used to drive, r- ride our bikes out. So there was three lads, three young lads from Ingsrod Estate in Hull. Uh, fast forward three or four, four years, Dave Smith became the Commonwealth Hammer Champion. Shane became the UK Hammer Champion. I became the British Shot Put Champion. Three wow. daft lads from a little estate in the north yeah. of England. Because we, we just trained hard together. That's all we did. It was just an amazing time. Um, I suppose from my perspective, that, that's a whole new different story, that little journey that went on for about 10 years. Um, trying to get selection for the Olympics. Things went slightly wrong there, but it was meant for a reason. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, the traumatic event of my clarinet story, yeah, was the fact that it pushed me in the direction of sport. Uh, and sport for me has just been this amazing journey. It's the one thing that I was found out that I was quite good at. It was the one thing where I found some really close friendships. Um, and it was the one thing that I realized through hard work and determination because I wasn't naturally gifted to throw a long way. I was in the shot. I was probably too short, but I got tremendously strong. You know, looking back, you know, my lifts in the weights room were pretty amazing, you know. So I I got very strong um, through relatively okay, you know, probably. And and I've been an overachiever and I'm a proud overachiever and I've been a proud overachiever my whole life. I cannot stand, uh, even though I'm a very caring, selfless person, I I can't stand people that underachieve. does my head in. But I I really um, admire people that actually overachieve. And I think it's a really proud statement to make to say that, you know what, I can look back on my life and I'm a flipping overachiever. I think I think it's a great thing to do. We were talking before you were, you were asking me a bit about me, and I was talking about some of my strengths, and it was going on in my head as I was saying it. Like it's just something that is just so natural to me, but it comes at a cost because mm. sometimes when I'm trying to make things better all the time, mm. like there's not a level of satisfaction. Mm. So when you're a an overachiever and you're proud of it, does that give you challenges where it's hard to find that level of, well, I've, I've reached where I want to reach, or are you constantly thinking of better, better, better? You know, for me, it's, it's a good question, Ian, because I can understand why you ask that. For me, it's a lack of confidence. <laughs> People wouldn't believe it, dead set, because I can't believe when I do things. And I, I, I flip, I, I honestly, I, I've always thought outside the box. I've always changed things. Uh, looking back, I've had the the ability to change things, change things dramatically too. Um, one of my fa- well, my first job in rugby league was at the the Bradford Bulls, uh, so that was at quite a young age. 
um, it wasn't my first job as a strength coach. My first job as a strength coach, I, I actually went to Leeds United. They were in the English Premier League at the time to do a talk on nutrition. I would have been late 20s um, and I was heavily involved with nutrition at the time. Uh, this is going back at a time when it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Um, but because my background is a power athlete working with some of the best athletes in the world at the time, which was some of the British athletes, um, I did a talk at Leeds United. Uh, and that's a whole different story. That's a funny story. I can tell you about that story. That's a strange, that's a, again, a strange story. Go on. Um, but no, yeah. we haven't got time. Okay. Honestly, right. but, um, we'll, come, we'll come back, we to, come back to that. It's quite a funny story. <laughs> yeah. So look, ultimately, my first gig was one of the first strength coaches in the EPL. Uh, they didn't want me to touch the legs because, um, so I went there to do a talk on nutrition and in the end, the um, head coach, um, he asked me whether or not I could actually look after his athletes in the gym. Don't touch the legs, Cal, because you'd change the center of gravity. But yeah. um, just, I just want you to work on the upper body. This is, you know, this is old school stuff, so, which I did. Um, yeah. But the natural progression for that was to go into a probably a more power related sport, which was the Bradford Bulls. Again, a coincidence, a coincidence how that actually happened, uh, a story in itself. Uh, but it was at a pivotal time in rugby league, especially in the north of England. The Super League had just started. Uh, Bradford Bulls was a mid-table team, uh, about three or 4,000 people in the stand, predominantly men in flat caps. Yeah. Um, and I can, I'm really proud of the fact that I truly believe that I took the first true power program into rugby league, the, the first true nutritional emphasis into rugby league. And that team trained like no other team had ever flipping trained. I'd argue with anybody. And we went from... Group dynamics is a big thing. We we had accidentally a really looking back a really amazing group of men, yeah. uh, and they bought into that process, and they became a dominant force in rugby league. The you know, dominant they, force, really. Yeah, it became a phenomenon. It went from yeah. having three or four thousand in the crowd to average crowds of over twenty with, and I think sixty percent were women and children. It was a it was a real phenomenon, um, yeah. and it was amazing to be part of. Literally amazing you know when i came to australia we 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 had play, former players that came over and stayed with us but we had former fans that used to come over and stay with yeah. us because it was like one big family it was just an amazing time in sporting history you can't explain what that phenomenon was like it was truly amazing and um so look at after the bradford bulls for five years i, I came to australia so be, before we get to that part yeah you said you said at that same time that where that was all unfolding, you yes. also went through one of the darkest days in your life as well. Yeah. I did. I did, yeah, which was pivotal, I suppose, which which gave me a drive. It gave me the drive. So, look, um, I actually – I was running a business at the time, and that's another story, which is quite an unbelievable story. <laughs> um, but um, we won't talk about that. But that's a story in itself. That's quite an amazing story. Um, but – Look, ultimately what happened was I, I, I ended up having a, a role. I was offered a role at, in, at the Bradford Bulls because I'd gone in and spoke to the head coach at the time and I was talking about things that wasn't really understood in rugby league at the time. Uh, but we made a bit of a connection on power through the ground, contact, et cetera, et cetera, which was what the hell is this guy talking about? It gave me a, they gave me a six-month contract. Uh, that six-month contract actually went on for probably 20 years, throughout, which was great. 
Yeah. But look, I, I got this role in rugby league um, in the October, November time. And I came from a rugby league town, Hull. They have two famous rugby league teams, but I wasn't really into rugby league. I was, I was into my athletics. You know, that's what I focused on. I trained every day, twice a day. I was an international athlete. That's what I focused on. But my mum, she was right into rugby league. Dead set. She would always watch. And she didn't come really come from, wasn't into any sport really, but she'd watch the Challenge Cup finals. She'd watch games on the TV. And, and she was always into it. And it, this is life. From, in my experience of life is that it can be really cruel. Life can be really cruel. And um, my mum, who was such a loving person, uh, and she had struggles in her life, but she, she was such a loving, caring type of person. You wouldn't meet a nicer person in your life. Um, you know, she got, she got cancer. Uh, she, she hadn't really been ill in her life at all, uh, apart from some mental health issues. Uh, God love her. But basically... By December, I got the job in October, November, and by the end of December, she, she died. She passed away of cancer. It happened really quickly. It was very traumatic. Um, and obviously, it had a huge impact off me because my closest person, personally in my life, was my mum. She'd always been there, always been there. We had a really tight connection. So it was, it was a really traumatic time, as it is for anybody. Yeah, yeah. when you, when you, not necessarily realize about your own mortality, but it was just really sad. And she was, and she was so tough and selfless. She, she never complained about the pain she was in. She was in the hospice, um, which is at the end of my street. Um, you know, I, I can remember going in to see her and one of the, one of the, uh, one of the, the nurses that was there, who who who's actually went to the same gym as me at the time, um, he said, "Oh, Carl, you know your your mum's hanging on because she just keeps saying to her, you know, fight it, mum, fight it." And, I, and he said, "She's just hanging on, and um, she needs she needs to go. She needs to leave. She's in way too much. She must be in so much pain, you know." So, you know, I actually went into the room and spoke to her about everything was going to be okay. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And within, you know, a few days she's passed, she'd passed away. I think at that moment she'd, she'd just given up, not given up, but accepted uh, the fact that it was going to be all right, you know, and it was, it was a very traumatic time, Ian. Yeah. Uh, goosebumps through that, that whole part. Um, we often, we look at different things from one context and we go, yeah, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Like how many times has the vet said to people, you know, like the pet sort of needs your permission to go, sometimes the most important people in our life do as well because they will keep fighting. And I'm, I'm drawn to a story of a, a friend who was battling a, a really uh, aggressive disease and she would go in to see her pop who was in a coma mm. and every day. And then she says, pop, I'm all, I'm all good now. Mm. I'm healed. And mm. he passes later that yeah. night. Yeah. Like it's yeah. The, the permission because we, we have this connection. So I'd love to hear more from you because I know you said we talked about, um, you know, who you were and you said, well, your intuitive ability mm. is, is like your greatest gift. So is that part of what draw you, drew you, well, firstly to realize what you needed to do and two, to be able to go and have that conversation with your mum from more of that intuitive space? Uh I think so, yeah. I think so. My intuitive space is probably a little bit extreme, Ian. Um, I used to think 
I'd gone a little bit mad at times, especially when I was younger, when, when certain things happened around me. Um, just with my mum. So the story how, obviously that my mum passing, et cetera, et cetera, it was a really challenging time. It actually made me very angry. But I channeled, channeled that anger into drive. And it, it drove me to be the uh, character that I became image versus identity so the image i had on the sideline was this larger than life warrior that took his men into battle um got fined on numerous occasions on the sideline um but you know i used to honestly it was just it was i was full on uh, i think but that was my image um internally i have this intuition and i didn't really want to go into this story too much because it's a little bit out there. Um, but for so, instance, for this instance, this podcast is all about out there. So let's go. Okay. For instance, here we go. So I, I explained to you that obviously I had a really close connection with my mum, and I was with her, you know, when she died. And I can remember I used to live down the street um, from the hospice, and I left early morning, um, and. Um, I always remember that my sister, again, we're not religious, but we went into the chapel and there was, there was that really famous uh, hymn about footprints in the sand. You, you know, the famous one where the person is, asked, is going through troubles. And I don't know it word for word. Probably should have learned it. It's quite pivotal at the time. Uh, and it was just there on the stained glass windows. And it's a story about, you know, somebody feels like they're, they're hopeless and they've been left behind and, and they say to God, um, you know, I'm so desperate right now, you know, and I look back and you're supposed to be with me, but when I look back on the sand, there's only one set of footprints. Why are you by my side? And and God says to the person, it's because I've been carrying you, you know, something along those lines. And it's yeah. a really powerful thing. So myself and my sister aren't really religious, but when we went into the, the chapel there, that was, there was this, like story, and it was really amazing story. We thought, oh, that's that's amazing. That's a story, very nice, very amazing. Uh, so obviously, my mum passes away, and, I, and it was in winter, it was around obviously December time in the UK. And I left there, and it started snowing. Now, as I as I walked down the street, which about I don't know, maybe a kilometre. It was three o'clock in the morning. There's nobody about, and it was snowing really heavily. And I remember walking to my house, my gate, and I looked back, and there was just my footprints in the sand, in, in the snow down the street. And it, and that, and then then that story came into the front of my mind, and I thought, you know, that gave me a bit of strength. It was almost like my mum would walk walk me back home. Yeah. That that that's just a personal thing. That's how I felt. But fast track, so fast track a few months. So we had a massive off-season at the Bradford Bulls, 96. 97, we came out, and we were just a powerhouse. Um, we'd had a big off-season, and we went unbeaten. And we got to the Challenge Cup final, which in the UK is one of the it's one of the crown jewels of British sport. It's when yeah. north of England, go down to the old Wembley, and it's on. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. And I can remember we went down... And we stayed in this hotel. And for me, this is my first year in rugby league, elite professional sport. Um, we went down and stayed in this hotel. And I remember getting up in the morning. It was all new to me. It was all new to me. I hadn't been part of team sport my whole life. I'd been an individual athlete. 
And at that time, we'd been unbeaten, so we had a great group of men around. I got up in the morning, went for a walk. It was a lovely spring morning. Uh, and we got up early for our little team walk on, on game day. And was walking through the parks of this beautiful country hotel. Um, and we ended up underneath this cherry blossom tree with white blossom. I'll take a breath because it's going to... Let me just take a breath. You're right. Take your time. And that's a good thing, that emotion. So it's yes. good to be emotional in. And, it, and you don't know it's coming. <laughs> you don't know it's coming, do you? But it comes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, went, I went for this walk with the team, this larger-than-life. Here I am, have a look at me. And, you know, larger-than-life Viking yeah. with my men, with my men. And it, it probably, it's, it's only a few months after a month passed. And we're, I didn't realise we're underneath this cherry blossom tree. Am I allowed to swear in? You swear all you like. Okay, so it was under this cherry blossom tree, and I just, it was a beautiful morning, and we all stood around in a circle, and the coach got the boys, so look boys, what a great day we've got here. Um, and then his voice seemed to go silent, because I just felt like I was in this moment of complete and utter ser serenity. I just felt amazing, and, um, and I just felt like my mum was there with me. And I said, but, you know, with, with this big bloke, I, 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 thought, I said to myself, nah, you know, it was really strange. I said, mum, if you're here, if you're here, just give me a sign. And auto, almost instantaneously, all, almost all, I'll say all, because I'm a good storyteller, all this white blossom just fell off the tree. And we was underneath the tree and it just fell down. And one of our players went, fucking hell, it's snowing. <laughs> you know, and ultimately for me, for me, it was like, that was that, she was there with me. And I, and I just truly felt her presence. And over the time between now and then, I, it'd be great to, and I've told my, my father about this and, and, he, and my sister, and they crave, they crave to have that feeling. I, I just think some, some people have that. I don't know. It's just a, a, it's not a gift. It's almost a curse type of thing where you're just in tune with that other side a little bit. Um, but at that moment, she was definitely 100% with me. I, I, have a, I have a thousand of these type of experiences through my life from being really young. So yeah. it's, it, that, that ability has always allowed me to have um, – a real superpower when it comes to mentoring athletes because you feel their energy, you feel their connection. It's, I've always built really, really strong connections with all my players. So to this day, you know, so that was that pivotal moment with my mum changed yeah. my desk, changed my direction in life. But it also enabled me to realize that, um, that energy, that whatever that is can be a really powerful tool. Uh, as well as being quite scary, you know? Mm. Oh, man, I got so many goosebumps through that. Like, mm. I'm, I've had similar experiences with my dad. Uh, mm. I've spoken to many other people and they've had similar experiences. Yeah. And, I think it's really common, Ian, but I just, yeah. I just don't think we accept it. But I think it's really common. And that's what I was going to say. Like, one thing is, is we don't talk about it enough. And the second no. thing is 
if people are wondering why where's theirs, mm. it's like, well, when you are open to it, yeah, and like I think you so, described, yeah. similar to me, like I've had those experiences yeah. all my life. Mm. When you're open to it, then you're more able to receive. Now we can get to be more open to it too, right? So yeah. I imagine that's part of the magic for you for mm. transforming athletes and also now trans- transforming young people yeah. is to help them to step more into that that space. Mm. Yeah, I think so. It's just, it is what it is again. It yeah. truly is what it is because along the, it's just, this is just talking about me, isn't it, at the end of the day. So look, my rugby league journey, um, and it, this actually, there's a thousand pivotal moments in that rugby league journey, but obviously a, a really traumatic, another really traumatic event again um, happened uh, 20 years later. 20 years later. So, yeah. Can we can we just, like, come back to, like, that journey um, mm-hmm. after your mum passed? Because yeah. there's, there's something there that, that was really present for me and I know is mm-hmm. present for so many other people. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. said that that grief became that anger and you described some yeah. of those, you know, on the sideline for me was in – in sport, like like mm. when I was playing, I'd, I'd get mm. so much of that aggression. You also said you were able to shift that to actually channel it into something that yeah. was so much more beneficial. So can you describe dry. what that was like and how you were able to transform that? Because I know so many people, particularly men, who don't know how to process anger in a healthy way. So I'd love for you to share some wisdom there. Well, you know, Back in the day, it was just something that was a natural thing to happen. What I do now after looking back, when you're, when you're working in high performance, um, it's almost like being on a, a locomotive going at a thousand mile an hour if locomotives go that quick. Um, and you don't really step off it. When I stepped off it, I chose to step off it. Uh, I had time to think back. Um, it's actually behavior. We're talking about behavior here, aren't we? So I, I understand about behavior and I, I look back and behavior is your greatest driver of your state or, or your ability or your performance. It's about behavior. Now you can I think it's almost impossible to change your character. Um, I think, I think a lot of that is, a genetic thing you know your character is your character but you can definitely change your behavior and you can change your behavior in a millisecond if you truly want to change it um, and you have a choice you have a choice to change that behavior for good and positiveness or you can choose to change your behavior for bad and negativeness it good and bad's always been around hasn't it in human nature but yeah. behavior is the greatest driver. When I look back, when I've been blessed and very lucky to work with in rugby league, a lot of the best players in the world, um, and in rugby union, apparently some of the best players that have ever played the game. Um, when when I looked, when I look back at them, I, I asked myself, um, this is what I coach with my young people now. Is it's called Super Six because of the six behaviours of a champion. So. Um, when I look back, I, I, I nutted it down to six behaviors and that they, they, they all had in common. Number one, humility. Um, humility, they, they all, they're all very humble people. Um, and how does that relate to a young person? Well, if, if you're humble and nice, well, people will want to help you and young people need help. 
So being yeah. humble is very, and that's, I'm telling you, I have kids that walk in that aren't very humble because their environment, every living cell on this planet is affected by its envir environment. If your environment's toxic, you will wither and die. If your environment's nurturing, you will grow and flourish. So my job is to create a nurturing environment. And we talk about that in group dynamics, don't we, about environment, but you cannot underestimate the environment somebody's in and how amazing that, that can be or negative. So look, the six behaviors, humility, number two, sacrifice and what sacrifice actually means. And sacrifice isn't getting up and training twice a day. That's training twice a day. Sacrifice isn't putting in, in the, on game day because you're playing the game because you love it. People that are successful understand and learn about sacrifice and sacrifice has to be made. I, I, I truly believe that in your life. I think that the, the strongest people go through the biggest adversity yeah. uh, and, and they come out strong at the back of it. So sacrifice and finding out what you need to do to make that sacrifice is, and accepting things go bad now and again for a reason is part of that sacrifice. That's number two. You, can't, you cannot move forward confidently without accepting sacrifice has to be made. Number three, you have to be loyal. The best of the best, number one, are loyal to themselves. What does that mean? They look after themselves. They give them pos themselves positive reinforcement. Are they hard on themselves? 100%. But does it come from a place of care? 100%. So loyalty is such a powerful thing. You have to learn how to be loyal to yourself. Part of that is forgiveness. Yeah? to be loyal to yourself. You have to be loyal to your team. They're the people around you. And thirdly, you gotta be the best of the best are really loyal with their family. I haven't met a successful person yet that isn't loyal to its family. I haven't. That's just my, might be my personal experience, but I've met hundreds, hundreds of them. And they are very family oriented people. I'm talking about the best of the best here, by the way. Yeah. Then there's emotional resilience or mental toughness. Initially, I wrote it down as mental toughness because I came from a contact sport background. Uh, but in actual fact, developing mental toughness or resilience is crucial. The best of the best are very resilient people, physically and emotionally. Is that a natural trait? In some cases, yeah. Can it be trained? 100%. Um, number five, follow your dreams. Everybody has a dream. Everybody has an ambition. Stalk that ambition. Feed that ambition. The ambition doesn't lie within your head, Ian. It lies within your heart, my friend. And you pointed yeah. to that earlier on. So, look, if you have a dream in life, I tell my young people to stalk the fire. Be humble. Make the sacrifices. Be loyal to it. Be loyal to that dream. Be resilient to that dream and believe in yourself. Don't listen to other people. Believe in yourself. And last but not least, number six is hard work. We all we all assume we all assume that hard work should be number one. Well, hard work resides up here because hard work usually revolves around some type of process that you have to put into place. So yeah. hard work resolves revolves comes from here, but. So to get to the top, you have to work hard. But any fool can work hard. I could drag anybody off the street and work them hard. And they would be able to do it. But would they be a nice person? Would they be humble? Would I want to work, help them the day after? Maybe not. Would they be willing to make the sacrifices to make that hard work mean something? Maybe not. 
Would they be loyal to themselves? Would they be looking after themselves away from training? Are they a nice person? Are they loyal to me? Do they turn up late? Are they going to listen? Maybe not. Um, You know, do they have any dreams? Probably not. They're just working hard. So hard work means very, very little. The thing that means everything and the greatest skills that you can impart into anybody is an awareness and understanding of what, how, how powerful behaviors can be. You know, so I have young people coming off the street with the parents and the parents are, oh, little Johnny, little Jenny needs to get faster. They need to get stronger. So no, stop, come over here. Here's our six principles. We coach behavior first. These are the greatest skills that little Johnny, little Jenny need to develop because with these skills, they'll be able to get quick because they'll, they'll be making sacrifices. They'll be eating the right foods. They'll be listening to the coach. They'll be able to get strong. You know, what, with the All Blacks, the All Blacks are selected on two things, character and courage. Yeah, they've got to play. They've got to be able to play rugby, rugby union. Yeah. But they, they, cannot, they will never become an All Black unless they have those two traits, character and courage. Again, a behavioral trait. And so behaviors are very, very important. So what I did after my mum, I, I used that natural grief it's a natural process isn't it it's natural to be angry isn't it it's natural yeah. thinking life's unfair it's not that's a natural thing but what i actually did i actually had a selfless personality which is a trait i can't change that ian sometimes i'd like to change that i'm probably the most selfless person you would ever meet uh, i'm probably the most giving person you ever meet that is my greatest strength but dead set my greatest weakness because selfish people see that coming and they can take from me you know so does that make me hold back no i continue to be selfless uh, but as a coach it's a powerful trait to have um but the behavior the natural behaviors around being selfless um enabled me to become a, a relatively successful at what i did as a coach um, yeah, awesome over a long um, period of tonight. Yeah, mate, so much goodness in that. Humble, sacrifice, loyal, emotional resilience, dreams, but not just any dream. And this is something I believe in too. Yeah. It's heartfelt soul dreams and hard work. And what those who were listening wouldn't have seen was that you were pointing mm. to your head as in your brain. The hard mm. work starts in the processing, which is yeah. powerful. Um, yeah, it, it ties in beautifully. A video I saw from from a high-performance coach in from New Zealand, I can't remember his name, but I'm pretty sure there was an all-black link. But he was saying to all these parents, like, you know, hand up, you know, all those parents who think that their child is, like, extremely gifted, mm-hmm. like, from a talent perspective, and, you know, heaps them put their head out, hand up, and he goes, well, I'm, so, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but none of your children are going to make it. Yeah. He said, because the, the people who make it, at high performance is because they're the good people. Mm. And if your child's a standout uh, athletic performer, he said, this person said, I've only met three people in all of my days who have been both a exceptional person yeah. and an exceptional athlete. Yeah. Um, now, I think it was George Gregan, and I can't remember the other two, mm. but it's like, it starts with, it starts with self. Yeah, it starts so, yeah. with that exceptional quality, and, it, and it's true of all performance, all levels to get and to most, that. And most, it's true of most of these people that make it to help go through some form of adversity uh, because you, you learn the traits. So, you know, being and the, the, one of the problems in world sport, athletic development, is the fact um, at most levels, uh, the coach picks the team to win. 
under 12s, under 13s, and under 9s. He picks a team to win. Uh, so what they're usually picking is athletes that uh, have a faster maturation age. So the ones that are small, the ones that are developing s- slower, don't get selected. They can get lost to sport, but if they hang in there, they have to develop behavioural traits to survive on a daily basis. They've got to work harder because they're smaller. They've got to be tougher because they're smaller. They've got to think outside the box just to get by and hopefully get selected. The natural athletes don't have to learn those traits. So the, the, the assumption is that the natural athletes are going to get to the top, but they don't develop the behavioral traits. The ones that usually get to the top have gone through adversity. It's the behavioral traits that will dead set, take them to the top. And that's what I coach. I, I call it front-loading destiny um, around creating an understanding of what the individual's perception of the perfect behavioural traits or processes through the day may be in four or five years' time. We write that down in detail and I get the athlete to actually wake up the following day and be that person. i got a number of stories that will literally blow your mind, Ian, to be honest. Literally blow your mind. Uh, <laughs> We're definitely going to have to have a part two because I yeah. want to come back to so a few of the stories you mentioned, but you mentioned adversity and mm. I want to get to that, that story that you were going to mention before. Okay. So... You, so yeah, please, because this is where, to me, your behaviour, natural behaviour and, and the goodness in you came to the forefront. Mm, yeah, please, probably, yeah. So, look, summation of forces is a, is a, is a strange um, statement to make, but summation of forces is, is a triangle, you know, and, and we all stand at the front of that triangle and, and everything behind the wake in our, in our life journeys, all the things that make us who we are. So there's more than one thing that, you go into any situation with it's actually subconsciously all those things that have gone through your life so look for me i was fate destiny um got me into the role of coaching um for a long period of time i, I worked in the english super league at the bradford bulls for five years and i was asked to come to the, the nrl you know bring my family across to australia in 2001, which is which was an amazing opportunity. Um, spent five years at the Canberra Raiders, which was a great time. Um, then dragged my family again to, to Penrith, to the Panthers for five years. Um, and then I got asked to go into Rugby Union, which was to um, the Crusaders, which for people that don't, know too much about sport, rugby league or rugby union. The Crusaders are one of the most famous franchises, if not the most famous franchise in rugby. And, and uh, successful. Yeah, unbelievably successful. Yeah. Over 70%, over 70% of Crusader players become All Blacks. Now, I, I don't know of many teams on the planet that could actually come out with that statement. It's an amazing yeah. culture. So look, I actually, so for, for a strength and conditioning coach, a leaguey, yeah, a leaguey to go to union yeah. was a big thing. They always think outside the box. That's probably why they got me there. That's what yeah. they truly believe in having a point of difference. Um, so I actually arrived just after the earthquakes in Christchurch. It was pretty traumatic time for the poor people of Christchurch. That, that earthquake and the subsequent hundreds, if not thousands of aftershocks um it was a a traumatic time the year that i were there it it was traumatic but also amazingly inspirational 
the group of men that I, I was privileged to work with, you know, we had 15, 16 All Blacks in our team, um, which was really inspirational, inspirational coaching staff, inspirational head coach, um, and the people of Christchurch, they were just so resilient. It, it was just, it was quite an amazing time in saying that. I had to go there on my own, leave my family behind in, in Australia for nine months because there was nowhere to live. I, I had to live in this little broken down bed set. It was almost like a slum, you know, so, mm. but that's all that was available, you know. Um, but in saying all that, it was quite a, trauma, quite a traumatic time, but also pretty inspirational time. But after a year, I was offered the job to go to the Auckland Warriors, the New Zealand Warriors. Um, I was offered a, 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 an amazing wage. I was offered an opportunity as head of athletic development to recruit or have a say in recruiting my own staff for you know sports science, uh, medical, strength and conditioning, performance training. It was just in my profession. It was the top of my game. This this daft lad from the north of England from Hull you know, 25, 26 years later through driving, driving in my family around the world, there, there I am in this amazing role. Um, but I, my family could come over, obviously was back together. It was great, really, really good. But as we all know, when life seems to be going just okay or really good, it, it gives you a bit of an uppercut um, and an awakening. So basically, um, Two weeks after arriving in Auckland, I, I actually, it was two or three, it was, it was very, very short after arriving. I'd moved into a nice house near the beach. Um, and the story I'm going to say now, I say, you know, please, it's, it's, I'm sharing the story, but there are, there are victims involved in this story. So I, I, I'm sharing it not to, to brag about it or to bring anything apart from it's a pretty traumatic event and how it changed my life. So it's hard to explain how traumatic it was, but ultimately I was sat in my living room with my wife and my son watching TV and a, and a close friend of mine uh, watching TV. Um, and there, there was a massive explosion um, in my next door neighbor's house. She had a, a large house. Um, and we looked out the window and the upstairs, there was flames and glass and there was giant, ex big explosions going on. So look, ultimately, um, me being me, <laughs> I've learned we're all hardwired in a certain way. You know, the old ape behaviors, escape, passive or aggressive. Um, I was instantarily putting my shoes on. I think my wife, Sharon, knew what was going to happen. So she was trying to hold me back. Um, and I went out the front door, down the side of the house. By then, other people coming out, the houses in the neighborhood, because this was not a normal house fire. Unbeknown to me at the time, uh, the lady, um, God love her, she, she was going through a really traumatic time. And she decided that she was going to take her own life. Um, and she'd filled the house full of gas containers and petrol containers. So you can imagine this wasn't a normal type of house fire. So I, all I can remember is being standing in front of this inferno 
and at that point it had blown the front of the house off and the garage entrance totally blown off um, and all I can remember is that I'm going in I'm going in because there was screaming inside the house I'm going in um, it, everything went into slow motion I can remember my wife holding on to me and screaming at me so loud that there was nothing coming out there's nothing coming out of a voice she was completely panicking thinking her husband's just about to die the strange thing about it and what i struggled with at the time afterwards was the fact that i actually thought i was going to die too but it didn't stop me wow. doing what i was doing it was a really strange scenario and um, so look i went into that garage area um towards the screams um through the smoke through the stair, up the stairs. Um, it's very hot. I'm not going to get into too much detail because it's pretty traumatic. Um, and found a lady who had been blown down the halfway down the, the staircase, um, and she wasn't in a very good state. God love her. Um, I dragged her through the flames down the stairs into the garage shouted at a couple of chaps that were at the front of the house to come give me a hand, uh, pulled her out of the garage area. Um, and then literally two seconds after getting out of that stair, and I knew, you know, we've, we've all seen these movies, haven't we? You know, the old back flash and flash point. And I knew it was going to go uh, and it went. But, so, you know, I was, I was lucky. Um, and, and we got the lady out, um, which was, quite surreal i had a pair of shorts on and a t-shirt i went across the road was there was other people dealing with the, the lady um the fire brigade came obviously the, the police came pretty quickly um the fire brigade started to um attack the fire um and then the fireman walked across you know his protective gear he was looking at me and, and i didn't have a hair on my body singed I did not have a hair on my body singed. Now, I went into an absolute inferno. Um, things happened at that time. I went back into the house. The police came and did a statement. The following morning, the following morning, <laughs> I got up at four o'clock in the morning and drove across New Zealand to Bethel's Beach and did a beach session with the boys on the sand dunes. And I was saying to the other coaching staff, oh, I was in a... Uh, I pulled a lady out of a fire last night. I was coughing a little bit, you know, and um, but it, it was like really blase. It was like a, it, I was in like a different type of mindset. And when yeah. when I got home, the whole street was cordoned off. There was tactical response uh, police there because they thought there'd been incendiary devices in the house. Um, obviously, I live next door, and then the police collared me and said, "Oh, you need to come to the station and give a statement," um, which I did. I couldn't actually write the statement. So obviously I was traumatized from the event. Yeah. I couldn't actually write it. I said to, I said to the, uh, the uh, detective, I, I can't, I, I literally can't write the stick. Can I draw it? So I said, yeah, just draw it. Uh, so I drew this picture um, and he said, oh, you've got to sign it. And I, I found that really comical at the time. I had to sign my little yeah. drawing because it's my yeah. statement in drawing. Yeah. The, you know, but um, look, for that event, I received the um, New Zealand Bravery Medal from the Queen, which is really humbling. Um, I, I accept that on behalf of my family. Um, 
but mental health is a is a serious thing. My mom, who I spoke about, she suffered with mental health. So I, I understand. Um, the lady in question actually took her own life three months later in hospital. So, you know, that, like I said, there's victims involved in this. So this isn't, this isn't me about trying to glorify anything. Uh, this is just something that happened to me. Uh, but what happened to me, there was a few things that played on my mind that I couldn't deal with. First of all, um, how I not only survived, but got out without a hair of my body singed. Um, so I truly believe that I'd survived for a reason, Ian. And, you know, that's only my experience. But I truly believe that survived for a reason. It used to play on my mind all the time. It affected me to do my job. I'd only just got the job at the Warriors. I tried. I tried. And I did some good things. I designed the High Performance Center. Uh, we did a lot of really good things. But I could not, for the life of me, create connections with any of the players. It had been something that I'd done on my whole career. So there was something. Was it post-traumatic stress? Who knows? I don't think it was. What was playing on my mind was the fact that it wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And I lost complete passion for what I was doing. And that was coming from somebody that was the most passionate person on the sideline. Yeah. I had no passion for what I was doing at all. And I wow. think as a high achiever, you need passion. So yes. I, it, it played on my mind, why did I survive? Why did I survive? And this went on and on and on to a point where I left that role after two years. Um, and I came back to Sydney. I used to have this reoccurring dream, thought, strange feeling that I survived for a reason. Then I, then I thought to myself, well, look, if it's not, if my, if my purpose in life isn't to work with the best athletes in the world anymore, which anybody would give the, the right arm to do, um, but if in my mind it's not to do that, well, what is it? I'm, I'm not a carpenter. I'm not a plumber. I'm not an electrician. I'm just a coach. So then I thought to myself, well, maybe it must be coaching. And I struggled for a while. I, I tried to do other things, um, did some high-performance talks with some good friends of mine around Australia. Then I went to see a, a really close friend of mine who owned a, an air conditioning factory, and I spoke to him about some things. Uh, literally just after a job, to be honest, at the time, they had to find a job. They yeah. said, no, no, you can't do that, Carl. Why don't you follow your dream and help your people? And, and uh, I'll give you part of my, um, I'll give you part of my factory and we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll set it up for you. What are, there are some good people in the world. Yeah. Because I, I had this thought, and this thought used to resonate with me all the time. I, I truly believed that if I could change one young person's life for the better and the way that they would think, they would go through life and affect lots of really people in their lives in a really positive way. That's what I used yeah. to think. But then I used to think to myself, what if I could change 10 young people's lives for the better? Maybe they'll go through life, apart from being successful, they might affect thousands of people. And then I thought in my strange um, general head, if yeah. I can change thousands of young people's lives, maybe I can change this fucking world. Yes. For the better. Yeah. yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, maybe that's why i survived so in my strange mind this is just my mind again don't trust your mind i went on this journey now look ultimately super six was built for all the right reasons it wasn't easy because nobody knew what the hell was going on it wasn't easy it was a challenge it, you know I, I got to a stage where i got very very tired 
Um, I got very, very tired, uh, very lost for a period of time there because I was doing something that people, I, I wasn't getting customers. People didn't understand what was going on. I, I knew it was the right thing to do. I believe, I truly believed that. Um, and I got to the stage where I, I was that exhausted with that drive. Um, I was driving home from, from work and I just wanted to drive into a tray. Yeah, wanted wow. to finish. Uh, so I know it took me. That wasn't anything to do with post-traumatic disorder. That was to do with me being absolutely exhausted and feeling that maybe I was doing the wrong thing and I'd, I'd made a mistake and I, I felt responsible to my family to be successful. I wasn't earning any money. I'd gone from earning lots of money to nothing. You know, my wife was being unbelievably supportive, my family. And I just feel I felt like, you know, I was letting everybody down, but I, I felt like what I was doing was for the right reason. But ultimately fast tracking a few more years um we're now in a center at black tennis international sports park there's lots of development going on there we've had over twenty-five thousand visits to super six awesome. uh, we've had we've had young people recovering from cancer we've had young people in emergency care we've had world champions and everything in between and super six is a truly amazing space because we create a safe space for young people to become the best they can be um not only helps them in sport but it helped definitely 100 helps them in life now this sounds like some type of advertisement to be honest i don't give jack shit about me coming across like that ian because i'm i know what i do is literally life-changing we have australia's if not the world's only There'll be a lot of people that disagree with me, but I'm telling you, I know this for a fact. Um, All-inclusive program. We have young people with a disability um, training with people, apparently natural, normal people, which I, I hate using the word people with a disability because they're more inspirational than any of us. Um, we have people that turn up that apparently are non-verbal, can't interact with people, um, can't do this, they can't do that within 10 weeks that communicating they're moving independently, the fit, they're, they're just, it's just life transforming. And the most important thing is that I have athletes over here that have never been in an environment with athletes like these. And it's such an inspirational place. It is truly inclusive. It's a very powerful space. Do I still miss high performance? Hell yeah, because that's my part of my DNA. So I still scratch my itch with high performance. I still, I still work with elite athletes and elite teams um, in various, as you've seen from my website, from, you know, the, the mental skills and application side of things, you know, from being a bit of a consultant here, there and everywhere. That scratches that little bit of an itch. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to accept that even though I have this huge depth of knowledge that, and I could... I could do so many great things in elite professional sport that my role now is to work with eight and nine year olds just doing the basics, but for them it's life changing. So I, I got to accept that. Um, it's a, it's a challenge, but I, if you truly, if you truly believe that and you get in touch with who you are um, and you do things for the right reason. So I'm not driven by wealth. Wealth isn't money money is corrupted money is bad money drives people money resides up here not in here um so I, 
some people are, God love them. Um, but I, I truly believe that the greatest gift in life and the greatest resource is your time. We spoke about this. Yeah. So the greatest thing you can give to anybody is your time. You, we only have so much of that time. And to give your time and your expertise to young people to enable them to fast track their development physically and emotionally for them to be better people in society is a powerful thing. It isn't, and giving is so powerful, not receiving, giving and giving and giving out. Sometimes, like I said to you earlier, being a selfless type of person is a, can be a, an issue. It can be, you can be taken for granted. You've got to accept that. But I truly believe if you continue to give out, you will get goodness back. I, I just, I just, I, that's a knowing, Ian. That's a knowing. It's not yeah. a feeling. That is a knowing. Um, and often people assume to be successful or to be loved or to be liked revolves around, and this is the problem with today's society. It's instantaneous for young people on social media being likes, how many likes they have. It's just living in myth again, not reality. And people need to get in touch with who they are, live in the moment. They're really happy with who they are and try and make a difference, first of all, with the people that are that, that they're around. It's, you're fighting a losing battle with modern technology, but in my little world, in my little space, we focus on being the best we can be in a safe environment around behavioral traits. Um, so, whether or not that may change next week, I don't know, Ian, because my life changes. But, yeah, so I, it's... It's a pretty powerful story in a lot of respects, Ian, and it's real. It, this is this is real. Um, should 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 I get more? I've never asked for help. I've never asked for financial help. I've never asked. I've done it all myself. It's been hard. It's been really hard. Um, but I'm tough. I'm from the north of England. I can take that. It almost took its toll on me a few times. I know that, but I fought back. Um, should it? You know, we only there's four forms of investment to be successful. Um, so to create something that's successful or worthwhile in life, there's four resources that you can tap into. Uh, obviously, your energy, and I have a lot of energy. Um, yeah. There's your, your time. You're willing to put time into it, uh, and 24/7. If if you have a, if you have a, um, not necessarily a passion, but a, it's something you've got a mission in life. It's 24/7. Um, so time's important. A skill. You need a skill set. And financial resources. I have three, which is energy, time, and skill. The financial side of things has been around me, you know, earning the money to reinvest into the business. Um, I could have all the money in the world, but without without the, the energy or the passion and the time and the skill, it would never work. Uh, but I think I'm at the stage now where I need I need investment to make sure that this program is available for more children. Because as you know, I want to change the world, Ian. Yeah, I want, yeah. To, leave, I want to leave a lasting legacy, Ian. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, look, I, I could tell you a thousand stories, Ian, but it's, it's led me to this point. Do I think that I'm 58 years old now? Do I think that my life, my working life's coming to an end or whatever? Nah, nah, nah. I, my biggest, my biggest uh, achievements are ahead of me. We have, and my dad taught me this, we have three ages. Uh, we have our numerical age. So I'm 58. People get, again, myth versus reality. People get obsessed with being 58. Yeah. 
well, it's just a number. It's just a flipping. You've had yeah. 58 orbits of the sun. Uh, so what? If you lived on Mars, you'd have had four times less orbits of the sun. <laughs> yeah, it's just a number, isn't it? You say you're 58. Yeah. So the other, the other thing, the other forms of age are your biological age, which is your health, and your spiritual age. So ultimately, to be healthy and happy, you have to have a process in place where you feed your biological age through healthy lifestyle, um, healthy eating, and you focus on your spiritual age, um, and you feed that person, the real person, Ian, not the person yeah. I'm looking at. You know, that yeah. person in the, So you tell me, Ian, how old is the real Ian? You think about it. That you know that you, the passenger, I've, the person. I've lived many lifetimes. Do you think you have? Well, yeah, yeah I well, do. You, you, yeah, you maybe have. I, I I do too. But the person I'm talking to now, inside. So how old do you actually feel inside? How old? Uh, how old do you feel inside? I'm a youngster. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm a yeah, well, for me, I, I know I'm 58 numerically, but I, me, I can't see. I just, I can't see beyond 32, 33. I can't, and it's a, it's a really funny thing because you just assume, you just assume because you're from the inside looking out. I can remember being at the Panthers, so I would have been like late 40s, early 50s, and I remember one of the players saying to me, "Oh, you know, Jenna, I look at you like my uncle." And I thought, I say. Fucking serious, I mean, mate. I just—it was like a shock. It was like a reality that the people that I thought was I was on a par with, they were seeing me as like an old, well, their uncle. And yeah. it's the first time that I'd literally realised that. But in actual fact, I think it's a healthy thing to focus on who you are spiritually and 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 what you need to do uh, biologically. Because my dad is the biggest proof of that. You know, he's focused on his health. He's, he's obsessed by it. He's an 87. Um, he's beaten having a stroke. He's beaten having cancer. Um, and it's his health and his, his wealth that's got him through that. Uh, and spiritually, he's young as. Yeah. He's young as. Yeah. He, he came across fishing a couple of years ago. It was amazing. He came across fishing. He came across Australia. And we took him fishing, me and my mate. We took him up to uh, Jindabyne, fishing on a lake there. And we got up. We camped, and there was me, my mate, uh, my dad, and my, my my son. So my dad's grandson. Brilliant. Yeah. And we went down, went down to the um, the side of the the lake. There it was about three o'clock in the morning. My dad said to me, "Bloody hell, Carl, this is amazing. I'm in the middle of Australia fishing with my son and my grandson. I'm gonna, I want to be here in forty years' time." <laughs> so good. <laughs> I said, Dad, that'll make you 120. Because at the time, and, uh, he said, yeah, so? And that's, I don't think he's going to live forever, but holy macaroni, he's 87, still trains every day. But it's, it's, been, it's, it's having that mindset around focusing on your, your um, biological age and your spiritual age. It's such a powerful thing. hundred percent. It's such a powerful thing. Yeah, and, and I, I say to people this regularly, I, I am healthier now than I've been since I was a teen because yeah. of exactly that. That's why mm. I'm able to run around on a football field like a lunatic yeah. still because um, yeah. in my head I'm still 26. Yeah, yeah. Then, well, you've got to, well, you've got to get in touch with your heart, Ian, who the true person, who the real person is. Get out your head, Ian. That's my, That's what I do for work. 
Carl. That's what yeah. that's where I spend my time. And you talked about passion before. That's mm. my passion is not just to spend as much time in my heart as possible, mm. but to help other people to connect yeah. to their heart, yeah. to connect to their soul, to connect to yeah. what you talked about, mm. which mm. is that part of them that, that so they know what they're meant to be doing. Yeah. That's where yeah. life really starts to get exciting, right? I, th- I think so, yeah. And some people, because they get so trapped in in myth, they lose, they lose, they lose self, they lose track of time, they lose track of themselves. Um, it's, it's. I've been through a lot of adversity, a lot of really amazing things, and we all have. Uh, but I, I think I've just been blessed to think slightly different to actually use it in a in a a way that I can help other people. Um, yeah, and like one of the gifts of this podcast is to give a platform for people to share how they've mm. everything that they've overcome all of the moments of grief in their life how that has allowed them to move into the space that they are to do the work that they do to to make the difference that they yeah. know that they were meant mm. to make so mm. i know your time is precious and you are probably have gone over now what you were supposed mm. to um but I really appreciate you investing this time, mm. not just for me, but for the listeners. Because mm. what a great, what a great storyteller you are! Mm. I, I can't wait to get you back to hear some of those more, mm. more of those stories that you you, uh, yes, that need to be told. So mm. thank you, Carl. I appreciate the time. I appreciate mm. you, and uh, yeah, thank you. No, you're more than welcome, Ian. And it's um, it was really good that you gave me your time too and um i i don't like sharing people that know me tell me i'm talking rubbish now but i don't like sharing these stories too much i'm not a bragger you know a lot of these things are are very personal so it's taken a little bit to actually share it believe it or not um because they're pretty personal type of stories um but i think that if it can help people or inspire somebody for, for the for goodness that's a good thing yeah that's a good thing it can only be a good thing and i think yeah. the most important thing for us Ian, is we need to now i know that you're just down the road we need to catch up for a coffee because uh 100 you know, <laughs> i think that's what we should do yeah. yeah well what i know and you mentioned before the knowing what i know about the opportunity to tell stories is mm. you get a get a new way of seeing the world so you get mm. healing through this yeah. I get through healing through this and everyone yeah. in the audience does. Mm. So everyone listening to this by mm. going on this emotional journey mm. and coming out the side, we, we all end yeah. up in a better place. So again, yeah. I'm honoring you and thank you. Appreciate mm. it. Okay. Thanks again. Welcome, mate. Speak to you soon. Yeah, yeah hopefully. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.